in the middle of, of a series called The Middleman. Turn to your neighbor and say, you're a middleman or a middlewoman or middlewoman. Maybe that's a woman, okay? I want to be totally equal here. And <laughs> No, we do. Uh, we, are, we are specifically, more specifically, looking at people in the Bible who helped to fulfill God's plan or purpose, depending on the story or the situation or whatever's going on uh, in the context of that part of the Bible. But these are not the leading roles. These are not the front man or the front woman of the story. They're people who are kind of supporting people, the middleman or the middlewoman, the person who helped connect the dots to make God's plan come together. And so I want to just take a minute to, to kind of look back at the last two weeks, just take a couple minutes to kind of catch you up to where we're at today. So the first week we talked about John the Baptist. Everybody say baptism. Okay, I want to just say this. Coming up towards the end of, end of August, we'll be doing water baptisms. And if you've never been baptized, it would be an honor of mine uh, to be able to baptize you in the river after our, our, our outdoor service. We do one service on that Sunday, and it's, it's down at Hemlock Park at the Banshell. All of the church together in one place, which is really cool. And then afterwards, we all fill the banks of the river and we do baptisms. I feel like it's a picture of what happened when John the Baptist was doing it, though uh, John the Baptist was a lot cooler than I was, and he ate grasshoppers. And so, because I'm not doing that. I don't care if you bring me one on that Sunday. But anyway, it is an amazing time together. And so if you're interested in being baptized, be paying attention that the signups are, are going to be coming out or could be out there. But if you have questions about it, don't be afraid to ask. If you've never been baptized, then you're eligible for baptism if you've made Jesus Lord of your life. If uh, you've been baptized before and you want to know if you should do it again, come talk to us. Depends on your situation, what's going on. I'll, I'll dunk anybody who wants to go in the water. No, but really, as long as your heart is in the right place, we want to baptize you. And maybe you've been baptized as a baby and you want to know if you should do it now as an adult. Come talk to one of us if you want, if you want those answers. Uh, because everybody's situation and story looks a little different in the way that they walked out their life and their relationship with God. So we want to baptize you. So John the Baptist... He was the guy who was the middleman to point out who the Messiah would be. So God gave him this calling that he was going to baptize people and that uh, eventually when, uh, when the right person was there, when God's man, the, the Messiah, was going to be there, he would baptize him and the Holy Spirit would descend on that person like a, like a dove, right, and would land on them and stay on them. Okay, And God had told John the Baptist this, said when that happens... When you see this happen, you need to let everybody know that that's the Messiah, that that's the Savior. Okay, so John the Baptist, in his six months that he was baptizing people and teaching people about God, he, or he taught to over a million people. And he baptized over 250,000 people before he finally baptized Jesus. Whoa, that's a lot. Right? That's a lot of people. And so he baptizes Jesus, and that's exactly what happens. We read that the Holy Spirit descended on him like a dove, like landed on him and stayed on him. And, and however God made that happen, it looked like a dove. I mean, I trust God. And, uh, and so he says, this is the Messiah. So in, in the first week, we talked about how he was a great middleman because John the Baptist, his whole goal was to point people to Jesus. He had a short period of time that he did ministry, but really his, his whole thing was to declare that Jesus was the Messiah. And what we could take away from that as modern-day middlemen is that we need to be telling people about Jesus, right? People need to know. People need to know about Jesus. And so it's, it's partially our job. It's part of what we're called to do is to go out and tell people about Jesus and to point people to the Messiah. That's what John the Baptist did. And then the next week, last week, 
we talked about Andrew, and I didn't plan this. Everybody say Andrew. Okay, so just remember his name. Um, I had you say baptism before, I have you say Andrew now. I didn't plan this, but when I went to go research Andrew and really like where he came into play into the story of, the, of Jesus' whole, whole ministry, um, I found out that the verse we left off with with John the Baptist, the very next verse was where Andrew came in. And that was so cool that that happened. And so Andrew was a great middleman for two main reasons. The first reason is that he didn't keep Jesus to himself. He was the first one to, find, to, to really spend time with Jesus after John the Baptist pointed him out. And the first thing he did is he ran and got his brother and started telling people about the Messiah. How many know that Jesus is not supposed to be a secret? But in our society today, that's kind of what's happened. We've really gotten to a place where it's like, okay, I'm a Christ follower, and that's for me, and I'm not going to, you know, that's not for, I don't need to put that on anybody else, that's just on me. But that's not what the Word says, and Andrew was a great example of a middleman who didn't just keep it to himself. The second thing that he did that I think was not more significant, but incredibly significant, is that when Jesus was faced with a situation that seemed impossible, the other disciples agreed that it was impossible. But Andrew believed that Jesus could do the impossible. And we need to be a people who believe that Jesus can do the impossible. Amen? Amen. He could do the impossible. Remember, he, the 5,000 men are out in front of him. Jesus feeds the 5,000. It's the story. And, G, and Jesus says, we need to feed them. And all the disciples go, this is impossible. This can't happen. And Andrew, he doesn't say, I know how to do it. No, he takes these, these fish and these loaves from the, this little boy, who, who I don't think he took them from him. I think the boy gave them to him. And he hands them to Jesus and says, Jesus, we have this. You can do something. this." And he even says, like, I don't know how you're going to do it. You know, sometimes when things seem impossible for you and for me, we need to put things in Jesus' hands. We don't need to understand how he's going to do it. We just need to know that he can do it, right? Jesus can do it. And that's what Andrew believed. He believed that Jesus could. And I think for you and me, as, as middlemen, we need to believe that Jesus can. How many more things could we see God do in our lives and the lives of people around us if we just believed that he really could, if we put our faith out there? So today, uh, I want to do something uh, different. Do you remember Mother's Day? Yeah, men, yes, yes, we remember Mother's Day. Um, on Mother's Day, did I talk about mothers? No, I did not. And I made a promise on that day, and because it's Father's Day, I'm going to be a man of my word, that I would not speak on fathers on Father's Day. We have to be fair. It's today, uh, instead of talking about a middle man, I'm going to talk about a middle woman of the Bible. <laughs> So there you go, fellas. <laughs> there you go, ladies. You're welcome. So I, I, did, I didn't just not talk about, you know, men. I'm talking about a lady. And so, so anyway, this person, though, I think we all can relate to. Uh, because this person, it seemed like in every situation of their life, in some big areas, they felt like things could never go their way. Until finally they do. But there's more to the story. Okay. So today our middle woman that we're going to talk about is Hannah. Everybody say Hannah. All right, let's bow our heads. Let's get ready for the word. Father, thank you so much for today. I thank you for your word. I thank, thank you for the New and the Old Testament, God, how it speaks to our lives today, how we can put ourselves into that story and realize that, that it's got so much for us to learn. Thank you that Hannah lived her life the way she did. Thank you that we can look at her and her life and we can put ourselves in that situation and realize that we can do what she did if we'll just choose to live this way.
God, I pray that today for many of us we can relate to her and we can put our lives in that story and that we can see that there's hope for us and that you have a great future in mind for us. So God, I pray that you speak to us and you give us ears that hear your voice, hearts that understand the words that you're saying to us, and minds that want to live out those words, those instructions. And God, I pray, like always, that you uh, help me to only say what you need me to say and nothing more today. In Jesus' name, And everybody says, Amen. Amen. All right. Have you ever been in a situation in your life where you felt like everything is just stacked against you? Where like even when you're trying to do the right thing, you just everywhere you turn, it's like you're just running into walls and it's constantly like you're fighting against the current, right? You ever feel that way? You feel like for absolutely no reason, things just can't seem to go your way? It, this is Hannah's life, okay? And so I want to I read her story and I want to take a few minutes to talk about it. And, uh, and, and so we're going to start out by looking at like the beginning of the story and what Hannah's really going through. So first off, she's married to this man named Elkanah. And then we're going to pick up the story. you got to know that she's married to him, okay? So in 1 Samuel, verse 2, it says this, that he, Elkanah, had two wives. Everybody say two. Let me just say this right now, men. You do not need to have two wives at the same time. This is a bad idea. That is some Father's Day advice, all right? <laughs> Pass that down to your kids. So unless you live in Utah, then, then we don't. So... <laughs> yeah. Okay, if you're watching from Utah today, we love you. <laughs> anyway, he had two wives. He had two wives. One was called Pen, Pen, uh, Penini. No, <laughs> no, one was called Hannah, and the other one was called Pen, Penina. We'll go with Penina. I tried this earlier, and I was, we'll call her the other wife. <laughs> no, I don't know. I can't never get her name right. First service was terrible. Um, Panina had children, but Hannah had none. Okay. Year after year, this man, Elkanah, went up from his town to worship and sacrifice to the Lord Almighty at Shiloh, at the temple at Shiloh, okay. where Hophni and Phinehas, the two sons of Eli, were priests of the Lord. Now, Eli was the head priest, and his two sons were the priests underneath him, Hophni and Phinehas. Okay. Now it says this in verse 4, Whenever the day came for Elkanah to sacrifice, he would give portions of the meat to his wife, Panina, and to all of her sons and daughters. But to Hannah he gave a double portion. Everybody say double portion. It says he gave her a double portion because he loved her and because the Lord had closed her womb. Stop right there. Okay, so what that's talking about, when you read about the meat... Like naturally you think, oh, it's like it's part of the, the meal that they're going to eat. No, he's giving them the meat to go sacrifice. Because every year at this time of year they would go and they'd sacrifice animals to, for, for the cleansing of, of their sins and all these different things, all these different reasons. So this was their one time a year they would go there and do this. And so he would give to uh, Panina and her sons uh, and daughters, he would give, give the appropriate amount of meat for them to go and sacrifice. But he loved Hannah and he knew what she was going through. He knew she was struggling. And because he loved her, he gave her double the portion. So hopefully, maybe God would like hear her prayer more loudly than the rest of them. Knowing that she was struggling, he, he really was trying to do the right thing for her. But you know, men, sometimes we try to do the right thing for our wives and it doesn't get interpreted in the right way. You ever have that happen? No, that has never happened to me. Um, this is what happened. So verse 5. Or sorry, in verse 6, because the Lord had closed Hannah's womb, her rival, Penina, that's why you should never have two wives at the same time, because they will always be rivals. 
<laughs> uh, her rival, Panina, uh, would provoke her. He kept provoking her in order to irritate her. This went on year after year after year. And whenever Hannah went up to the house of the Lord, to the temple, her rival would provoke her until she wept and would not eat. Now, again, Elkanah, he loves her. And so this is what he would say in verse 8. Her, her husband would say to her, Hannah, why are you weeping? Why don't you eat? Why are you so downhearted? Don't I me more to you than ten sons? Like, look at me. I'm an Adonis. Like, you should be happy with me. <laughs> but, I mean, that's not what he was saying. But think about it. It, it really, that, it was almost like he was rubbing salt in the wounds. Like, her heart's desire was to have a child. And in the culture back then, that was really what made the value of a woman. I realize that culture is different now. But that was, so that, that's what made the identity and made everything for a woman is to, to give her husband sons. And so just because he would say that didn't really make things any better. So she lives this way year after year, and finally she's had enough. She's had enough. And so this is what, this is what happens. In verse 9 it says, Once when they had finished eating and drinking at, in Shiloh at the temple, Hannah stood up. Now Eli, the priest, was sitting in his chair, or on a chair by the doorpost of the Lord's house. In her deep anguish, Hannah prayed to the Lord, weeping bitterly. Now listen to her prayer. And she made a vow, saying, Lord Almighty, if you will only look on your servant's misery and remember me and not forget your servant, but give her a son, then I, everybody say, then I, then I will give him to the Lord for all of the days of his life. How many days? All of the days of his life. And no razor will ever be used on his head. Now, have you ever heard that statement before about a razor never being used on somebody's head? What was the guy's name? Remember, he's super strong. Samson, right? Samson. So back then, there was this group of, of people who were from birth were dedicated to the Lord, and they were called Nazarites. And they would not cut their hair, and it was part of their, their, their honor to God, and they would live in the temple, and they would be raised this way. Samson was one of those. He wasn't a great one. Uh, but, but so she says, I will, I will give my son. Now, not just give her son, like literally from, from as soon as he's able to live without her, she's, she's committing to give him away, the one thing she'd wanted forever. Her son, she's willing to say, God, it would just honor, it would just mean so much to me if I could have a kid. Even if I have to give him away to you, I will give him to you and allow him to, to live at the temple away from me. So, you know, there's a lot of places in the Bible where it talks about uh, how we can bring our frustrations or our pains or our troubles to God, right? One of the statements that you hear people say is, cast your cares on him, right? That's found in, in 1 Peter 5 7. It actually says, Cast all your anxiety, and in different versions it says cares or troubles or worries, on him because he cares for you. Did you know that he cares for you? Like he truly cares for you. He sees Hannah, but he sees you too. He cares for you, and he cares for her. So she does just what the Lord would want her, want her to do. You see, God doesn't want you to go through life alone, trying to figure it out all on your own. He wants to do it with you. He wants to do it for you. He wants to do it in you. God wants to be part of your whole life, your whole situation. And so this is amazing because she does exactly what she should do. She's frustrated. I'm sure she's tried every home remedy she can try to figure out, to, to try to every essential oil she can buy. She's trying to figure out how to have a baby, right? And so she's there, and finally it's like, listen, I can't do this on my own. i got to ask God to do this. 
How hard would it be, though, when you actually had the baby to then actually choose to take him and give him up? So what's crazy about this is, is even in the middle of her praying, she's ridiculed and she faces opposition again. Eli, the high priest himself, goes, woman, what are you standing up? What are you, drunk over there in the corner yelling? And she's like, no, I'm praying. Like, I can't even pray in peace. Like, you ever feel like it just never stops? She's this way. But I want you to know that even when you're in the middle of trouble, even, even when you're getting pushed back for in, from every direction, when you give things over to God, he hears you. He hears you. And we can see that because he hears Hannah, even in the middle of everything that's going on, even when the actual priest is calling her out, God hears her. They head home that night. The very next day, she becomes pregnant with a son. Amazing, right? So God hears her prayer. Okay. Except the problem is, is now she actually has to carry out her end of the deal, which I think could be the even harder part. So she gives birth to a son, and she names him Samuel. Have you heard of Samuel before? Some of you heard of Samuel. Okay. So uh, Samuel, by the way, became one of the greatest prophets of all time. He, he changed the entire kingdom. He changed the entire course of God's people. Okay, because God spoke through him. So we could say that, that Hannah was a middle woman for God to bring Samuel into the world, for his kingdom to come and his will be done, right? And so even though her story kind of gets overshadowed, and you might have heard her name before, but most people, if I said, do you know what Hannah did? They go, uh, no, I don't know. And, and they would be guessing to really know. And so, but, but people ask what Samuel did, and a lot of people know what Samuel did. So we'll get to that in a minute. But what I want to do is I want to take a few minutes to focus on what we can learn from Hannah, what it is that she really did that you and I can apply to our lives that could change the course of our future. Okay? The first thing we have to point out is that Hannah was faithful. Everybody say faithful. And I think we've heard this statement, faithful, in the Bible over and over. We hear it in songs, great is thy faithfulness, right? We, you guys know that, or most people have heard that before. And, and the thing is, is that what, is, what faithfulness really looks like, I think, in the great, greatest sense of the word, is when things don't look good, you still trust God. When things look impossible, you believe that he can. Kind of like Andrew, right? The 5,000 are in front of Jesus, and Andrew goes, I think Jesus can do this. Well, Hannah does the same thing. She believed that God could, that God could change her situation, that God could give her a son. And even more, she, she's so confident about it that she linked herself to God's fulfillment of it. Her faithfulness didn't stop when she got what she wanted. And here's where I think the modern version of faith has troubles and, and struggles, is that in, in modern version, there should be no new version of faith, right? But in the modern church, in the version of faith that we live in today, it's like we get what we want, and we're like, thanks God, and we walk away, and that's it. We get what we want, and it's like, well, whatever. You know, God, God's, God, God could take care of himself. He's good. He's a big God, <laughs> and, and he'll be all right. But, but the fact of the matter is her faithfulness didn't stop when she got what she wanted. Hannah, she gets it. God has a greater plan in mind. How many know that God has a greater plan than even our lives, right? Now, he has a plan for our lives, but he has a greater plan that's beyond our lives that involves everybody, right? And Hannah understands that there's a greater plan. And so she says to God, 
If you'll give me what I want, I'll give you what you want. I'll give you my son. I will dedicate him to you. I'll give you somebody who will serve in your name. I'm going to jump ahead right now, but how similar is that to our lives today? That when we ask Jesus into our heart, there's something that we want. It's okay to want something. It's okay to want change. It's okay to want hope. It's okay to want purpose. It's okay to want forgiveness. It's okay to want to move away from the life that you lived. But in exchange for you saying, God, I, I want these things, we also say to God, and in return, God, I give you leadership of my life. So Hannah is faced with a decision. She got what she wanted, but would she give God what he wanted? Would she turn around and give God somebody who would be a servant for him, which is what you and I are called to be, by the way. So let's see what Hannah does. 1 Samuel 1, 24, it says, After he was weaned, Samuel was weaned, she took the boy with her, young as he was, along with three, a three-year-old bull, an ephah of flour, which is 36 pounds of flour, if you wanted to know, and a skin of wine, and brought him to the house of the Lord at Shiloh. When the bull had been sacrificed, they brought the boy to Eli, the high priest, and she said to him, Pardon me, my Lord, as surely as you live, I am the woman who stood here beside you. You know the one you called a drunk? Yeah, that's me. And, uh, and he stood beside you praying. I want to remind you, I was praying to the Lord that day. And, and she said in verse 27, I prayed for this child, and the Lord has granted me what I asked of him. So now I do what I promised. Give him to the Lord for his whole life. He will be given over to the Lord. And it says, and Eli worshiped there believed and he, he accepted it and so you think it's over right wrong it's not over see each year Hannah would come back to the temple to do the same thing she had done year after year and because of her faithfulness to God he blessed her with more sons and more daughters after that but she still had this son Samuel who she would come to the temple and she would see every time she'd come. And it says, it actually says in the word that she would bring new outfits for him every time she'd come. She'd have made him new garments to, as he was growing to provide for him. And she'd show up and you'd think, like, that's so cool. She got to go see her son and see him growing up, moving up the ranks of becoming a leader, a priest, and, and all these different things. But the problem is, is that she came and what she experienced wasn't exactly what, what she would want to experience. You see, Eli's sons who were in line to become the high priest when Eli died, they had become corrupt. And they were stealing people's sacrifices and they were doing all kinds of the things to defile the temple and the, and the Lord and all of these things. And so, so just imagine you're, you're Hannah and you, you have given your son to the high priest to be raised up to, to move into that position. But there's these two sons of the high priest who will always be above your, your child. And these two guys are bad guys, making bad decisions. And you have to go every year and see that your son is stuck underneath the leadership of these men who are really not teaching him the ways of the Lord. Instead, he's seeing all of these things that you shouldn't be doing. And you got to be thinking, God, why did, you, why did you have me bring him here just to see all of this happen? Just for him to go through turmoil of being the second best or the third best because Eli had two kids. But Hannah doesn't do that. Hannah's faithful. She comes back every year, and she trusts God. 
And God sees that. And just like God sees her and sees Samuel, God sees Eli and sees his sons and sees what's happening. And so because God sees this, God is, God is a faithful God, amen? He's also faithful to be just, amen? And so God sees what's happening, and he has another prophet come to Eli and tell Eli this in 1 Samuel 2.30. He says, Therefore the Lord, the God of Israel, declares to Eli and his sons, I promised that members of your family would minister before me forever, but now, everybody say now, now the Lord declares, far be it from me, those who honor me I will honor, but those who despise me will be disdained. So God sends word to Eli in, in, that his family will be wiped out because they did not honor him. Because of their lack of faithfulness. So this is a great example when we look at the story of Hannah and we look at the story of Eli and his sons, that Hannah is faithful to God and God begins to raise up or fulfills her prayer and she fulfills her promise, she's faithful, and God begins to raise Samuel up. And on the other hand, we see Eli and his sons who, who are doing dishonor to God. They're not faithful to him, and God is going to bring destruction to them. In the very next chapter, Samuel, God comes to Samuel at night and says, and basically calls him up to be a prophet. And he says, every word that comes from your mouth, none of them will ever hit the ground. In other words, every word that comes out of your mouth will be spoken right through me, right from me. And you're going to be an influencer. You're going to change the world. By the way, Samuel is the one who anoints King David to be king of Israel. King David leads Israel as a man after God's own heart. And Jesus is part of the lineage of King David. So when you really look back, all the way back, Hannah is the middle woman who leads to Jesus coming and being the Messiah. Because of Hannah's faithfulness. Are you faithful? Who do you relate with? Do you relate with Hannah and her unwavering faithfulness in every situation, even when everything seems to go wrong? Nobody wants to be like Eli and his boys who are unfaithful. In the very next chapter, after God calls Samuel up, a war breaks out. And Eli's sons are sent to the battlefront. And they're both killed on the same day. And when a report comes back to Eli because of the anguish and everything that happens, he dies in that same day. And in a matter of that much time, Samuel goes from the bottom to the top. And I think that's something we need to learn is, is that, that your situation can seem completely impossible. But in the matter of this much time, God can completely change your situation. There's nothing that is impossible for God. He can completely transform your whole life, your whole situation in the matter of a moment. And I think one of the things that we get caught up in is that when we are going through trouble, it's easy to get down about it and to really just look at it as a woe is me, everything always goes wrong. But Samuel and Hannah never did that. Instead, they stayed faithful in what they found. And what Samuel found is that in the time of anguish, he was being trained up. He was learning what to do. He was seeing how things were done wrong. He was seeing how God really wanted things to be so that when his moment came, he moved to the top and he became one of the greatest voices for God that ever lived in all of history. So I guess here's what I have to ask you as I kind of bring it, bring it around is, is, have you been faithful to God? Have you been faithful to him? 
we all want God to be faithful to us, but it's a two-way street. So let me ask you this. What if Hannah would have kept Samuel? Because when Elkanah was going to go to, to the temple, he said to her, come on, let's go. And she said, well, I'm going to wean the baby, and when I'm done weaning the baby, then I'll come up. And then he laughed. He trusted her. She could have taken him. She could have ran. She could have said, I'm out of here. I got what I wanted. I got my son. This is what I've always dreamed of, and I'm going to go. And she could have ran. She could have taken off. She could have went and, and, and hid with friends or, or, or family. How many of you know that we all have family that speak into our lives sometimes? It's not always the greatest advice. But, uh, but she could have, like, taken off, and they would have totally understood. Like, she's always wanted a kid, and now she's got to give it up. What kind of God is she following, right? And so she could have totally kept that child. But then what would have happened with Hannah? What would have happened with Samuel? What would have happened with, with the temple? with the priest, with God's plan, with God's kingdom? What would have happened? And so i got to ask you, what would your life look like if you were faithful to him in every situation? Now, maybe you're not praying for a baby, but maybe it's something different. Let, let me just put it this way. There was a day when you, many of you in this place, said, I want Jesus to be Lord of my life. And you received something from him. You received a purpose. You received identity. You receive salvation, forgiveness. But when you said that, you also committed to let him be Lord of your life. You committed to be a servant to the Lord and serve in whatever way he led you to, to live. And this isn't the only place in the Bible where we see this kind of example. It's all over. Let's go back to that, that scripture about casting your cares on, on the Lord. And I'll wrap up with this. First Peter 5, 7 says, cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. And then it says, it doesn't just stop there. Then it says, be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Resist him standing firm in the what? In faithfulness. So when he attacks is the time where faithfulness really matters. Staying faithful, being firm in your faithfulness. Because you know, and then it says, because you know the, the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kind of suffering. So God, I want you guys to know this, God is very clear that he doesn't say it's all going to be easy street from the day you make him Lord of your life. It's not all, all popsicles and rainbows for the rest of your life, right? It is, it, it, there's going to be times where it's tough, but, but I love it that, that God doesn't stop there in what he's saying here. Verse 10, it says, And the God of all grace who called you into his eternal glory in Christ after you have suffered a little while, will himself restore you and make you strong, firm, and steadfast. God will be faithful to you. Will you be faithful to him? Hannah was an incredible middle woman. She played a huge part in the, in the anointing of King David to be king over Israel, a man that wrote so much of the Old Testament, a man who whose life is an example to all of ours, and a man who led into the legacy of Jesus the Messiah, all because Hannah was faithful. Let's pray. Father, I thank you again for Hannah and for her life. I thank you that she was faithful to you. And I pray that today some of us can kind of put ourselves into the story, into her life, and see that even though our situations might be tough, even though sometimes we feel like we're hitting walls in life and things never go our way, even when we're trying to do the right thing, that you are faithful. That if we will continue to trust you, we will continue to be faithful to you, that you, you will be faithful to fulfill your promises in our lives. 
And God, more than that, I pray that as our promises, as your promises are fulfilled, God, that we won't keep you to ourselves, that we won't be quiet about it, that we'll let people know what an awesome God we serve, that we'll, we'll be motivated, instead of keeping it to ourselves, we'll be motivated to go out and make sure that we are serving you the best way we can. When you say go, we go. When you tell us where, we, we go there. So God, motivate us to live that way. Help us to, help us to stand strong and be faithful in all circumstances, like Hannah was. With everybody's eyes closed here, I want to give you the opportunity today, if you're here and you've not made Jesus Lord of your life, that you could do that. What do I mean by that? I know we didn't really talk about it today too much, but there are people here today who need a change in their life. And maybe the reason you're here today is because you're going to learn that Jesus is the thing that can change and rearrange your whole life. God has a plan for you. He's got a purpose for you. He, he knew this plan and created you to fulfill it. But the only way you can do that is by allowing Jesus to lead you, to be the Lord of your life. This plan for you is filled with purpose and direction. It's, it's your destiny, and it will become your legacy after you are gone. Part of this plan is that you'll be redeemed and you'll be forgiven for the things you've done in your life that have made you feel full of shame or guilty. God has freedom for you, he's got hope for you, and he's got destiny and purpose for you. And if you're here, you can make the decision to make Jesus Lord of your life today. But part of that is then that you say to God, I'm gonna let you lead me. And I'm I'm gonna do what you're asking me to do. I'm gonna make you Lord of my life. And I'm gonna serve you from this day on. And you have to put in the effort to walk in God's direction every day. To say, God, what do you want me to do? To look in his word and go that direction. So if that's you and you know this is what you need, this is what you've been looking for. With everybody's eyes closed, if you want to make Jesus Lord of your life today, just lift your hand up above your head right now. I see those hands, a bunch of hands all around the room. Awesome. You can put your hands down if you have them up. I want you to know it doesn't matter that I see your hands. It matters that God knows your heart. And if you're at home right now watching this, it doesn't matter if I could see your hand or couldn't see your hand. God knows your heart. And the Bible's really clear that out of the heart, the mouth speaks. And so if you in your heart believe this and you believe Jesus is your Savior, then we're going to say a prayer together today where you declare it with your mouth, where you speak it with your mouth that he's Lord of your life. And then you begin today walking in his direction. We want to help you do that. So we can talk about that afterward. So let's all pray together as a family. Repeat this after me. Say, Lord, thank you for loving me. Thank you for sending Jesus to die on the cross defeat the grave and arise again so that I could be saved. I was a sinner and I needed forgiveness. Thank you for giving it to me. Today I choose to make Jesus Lord of my life. I don't want to live my way anymore. I want to live your way. So lead me into the life you created for me. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. If this message touched you in any way and you'd like to talk to someone at the church, you can reach us online at rlcbr.org. Search for us on Facebook. And if you're in the Big Rapids area, visit us on Sunday morning at our location in Big Rapids or the church right across the street from Menards.